The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Right, it's Tuesday, but it's not the same old dreary lineup. We've got a little treat for you today. We've got Mandy Drury joining us here in Europe. Good morning, Mandy. Good morning, Steve. How Why are, are you so perky this morning? I don't know, because I know that I've had more than four hours sleep like you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we've got Mandy with us uh, for a couple of weeks. That's great news. And we've also got your headlines, so I might as well get to those. Uh, UBS reports a net profit of $2.1 billion in the second quarter, but the Swiss bank cites challenging markets as it sees $12 billion of outflows from its asset management business. Uh, Mr. Cutmore is in Zurich for a one-on-one interview with the CEO, Ralph Hammers, uh, coming up at 8 CET. Gazprom slashing gas supplies. That didn't take long, did it? Yeah, slashing them to Europe by half, citing maintenance issues as Russia tightens already reduced levels of supply. Hello everyone, Walmart shares plunge in extended trade as the retailer issues its second profit warning in 10 weeks and also slashes its full-year outlook. Also US markets treading water as investors are bracing for the busiest earnings week of the season. It is peak earnings and also an expected rate hike from the Federal Reserve which will be later on this week, Steve. So you're fully prepped on Europe after about four and a half hours, yeah? I could not be more prepped. Otherwise known as like 100% winging it. But you know, <laughs> but, you know we were just chatting. Really common I, to my life. <laughs> um, you are literally my wingman and I am your wing woman. We are the you can be my wing wing. person, I think, is the right pronoun these days, isn't it? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. extremely unpeace. I'm going to get into trouble with um, the CBC boss and the rest of the world. Because but they didn't do the line in the new Maverick movie. So I thought, actually, that maybe there's a you can be my wing person. But they didn't go there anyway. I haven't seen it yet, but I believe it's I will be your wing fantastic. woman any day, Mandy. Okay. Well, you know, we've, I didn't know that. We've been in this... This organisation, exactly the same amount of time, pretty much, isn't it? 22 years. I know. I feel like we're pretty much like most of our adult life. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'll be right. We've grown up together on CNBC and other sides of Your magnificent time in the States. I remember that very well, Bill. Yeah, yep, yep. They were good times, and of course, in Asia mostly. So, look, um, we're going to have a fun uh, week or so, and then before I go, and then it'll be a bit more dreary, but uh, that's fine. Um, Lots going on. There is a lot going on, and I'm actually thrilled to pieces to be back in a studio. I have been locked up in my guest yes. bedroom. Yeah, doing Australia CBC had a different experience, didn't they? Well, yes, with the exception of China. You know, I mean, obviously, we all know what's been going on with the lockdowns in China. Australia had the longest lockdown More than on the New Zealanders? Planet. I think longer than New Zealanders, and I apologise to all Kiwis out there listening if Don't I've got that wrong. Don't apologise to the Kiwis. That's, that's, first, but, um, that's a first from an Australian. <laughs> You've got to keep it nice. You know, we're actually we're, we're, we're neighbours. We're, we're as close as neighbours get in our I part know. of the world. But I, yeah, we've let I, me out of the I love cage both equally as well. And I'm being unleashed on you, so there you go. Apart from on a cricket pitch. Right, so um, <laughs> let's get to earnings. UBS has posted a second quarter net profit of $2.1 billion, up 5% year on year. The Swiss lender says its technology-focused strategy and diversified business model are helping offset volatile market conditions. As it reported, $12 billion in outflows from its asset management business. UBS also revealed it bought back $1.6 billion in shares during the last quarter, on track to reach its $5 billion buyback target for the year. Well, the best thing you can say about UBS as well Mm. is that it's not Credit Suisse, because the fact of the matter is, these two are a trading pair. We know that they are compared 
ad infinitum ever since I had to hot foot it on a plane to Zurich at the height of the crisis uh, when Credit Suisse uh, mainly and UBS to a certain degree were having uh, their own problems as indeed banks across Europe were. But this year the problems are really being exposed by the fact that Credit Suisse is down the best part of 40 percent mm. uh, and Jeff will be speaking to Thomas Gottstein about that in, in a day or so but the fact of the matter is uh, Ralph Harmer's group is actually only down about a percent so far before today's trading right. for the year so far and I think the numbers are very interesting and it just exposes everything to a certain degree that we already knew strong capital base for a lot of these mm -hmm. financial institutions the capital ratios look mm -hmm. fairly good at 14.2 for a ct1 leverage ratio uh, at 4.37 there are some horrible numbers in there uh, uh, including cost income ratios and if if, if, the, if a company can and you take a step back if a company can lord so well we've improved our cost income ratio it's now only 70.6%. That's like CNBC giving, uh, for every hundred bucks they earn, giving it to you and me. And we, we know that ain't going to happen. It's never going to happen. That ain't going to happen, but, is but, it? But you can certainly see with this report from UBS, especially when you look at the asset management performance, that, you know, number one, it was always going to be a very difficult quarter for them because of the base, right? In the first quarter, they had their best quarterly performance since the global financial crisis, I do believe. And maybe you can correct me on that because you are the expert on all things European companies. <laughs> but also, they're very strongly dependent on market movements, aren't yeah. they? And there's another thing thrown into the mix here. Look what's been happening over in Asia. Like for, for a number of decades, you know, they've been minting billionaires, high net worth individuals out of Asia, particularly yeah. out of China. And that has completely flipped. Now, of course, they've been having so many problems in the Chinese economy and all the rolling it lockdowns. It was a gold rush, wasn't it? So who can service these new billionaires? It really was. And so, you know, not just UBS, but, you know, Credit Suisse and other, you know, private banks of that ilk have been obviously really courting the big, rich mm. Asian money. And that just isn't there to the same well, degree Well, the Asian anymore. money, the Middle East money, the yes. Russian money, the, the, the Near East money as well, mm -hmm. plus, as I say, the, the tech billionaires as well. And so there's a confluence of factors, and I think yes. it's absolutely right to point to that, that this gold rush of um, let's all move from our day-to-day -day investment banking to private wealth, high net worth individual servicing as well. And, and suddenly, some of those key areas, such as the Russians, such as tech entrepreneurs, such as you were mentioning, the, the new Asian money, it ain't there so much. It isn't there. And, and remember, I mean, look at the peak of this. You saw the, the banks like the UBS, you know, rolling in incredible services to really cater for the needs and likes of these, these high net worth emerging market individuals. Things like, you know, private hairdressers, you know, mm. people who could pick out a Rolex for them and, you know, give them an investment advice on the best place to park your money that, uh, you know, perhaps in alternative investments like mm. a, a shark skin watch. Ooh. So, I know. When you rub it, like you know, like you know, because it's terrible. It's, te it's a terribly hard skin, isn't it? I oh. mean, I don't. But anyway, apparently it's a thing, or yeah. was it was a thing. Right. Um, so you know, it's going to be very interesting to see where they're going to be able to turn to their clientele going I think you're down right. the track. I think you're absolutely right. And that's why there's a big focus on cost cutting. Yep. There's a big focus on shoring up their shares with, uh, with buyback programs. And I, I still have this view that buybacks are a sign of, well, disappointment really for investors. Because what else can you do with the money? Well, probably a lot if you've got a forward-looking management. But buybacks are there because they have to hold their mantra of shareholder value. Mm -hmm. And if they think their shares are too cheap, then they buy them back as well. But surely there are other things to do, like investing in technology, investing in the business, investing in growth that a lot of these companies can do. And I have to mm -hmm. say buybacks, and I love to see buybacks over the cycle, a lot of them stunningly out of the money now, certainly uh, in the United States and elsewhere, since we've gone into bear market territory and so many of these indices.
overseas. We most certainly have a number of bear market territory uh, markets that we're going to be talking well, about today. We need today. an expert on UBS, and if only that expert was in Zurich. Goodness me, are we talking about Jeff well, or are we talking the, about the CEO? I think we're talking about both. We've got two experts who are going head two to head. Two seasoned professionals two, of finance. Yes, two experts head to head. We've got Jeff, of course, he's going one on one with the UBS CEO, Ralph Hammers. That is going to be later on this morning at 800 CET. Alongside Ralph Hammers, of course, we also have a swathe, one of my favourite words, it's very onomatopoeic, of other CEOs lined up for today's programme later on this hour. We're going to be speaking with Paolo Gallo, the CEO of Ital Gas, and also Bernard Charles, the head of Dassault Systeme. Germana will be speaking to Ferrari CEO Benedetto Vigna, and Giuliano will be interviewing Alan Jope of Unilever You're as loving well. all these European I am loving already, this so much because normally I'm confined, well, I mean, Asia's got a, a, a cornucopia of wonderful names to pronounce, whoa, particularly whoa, whoa, those whoa, 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 whoa. Thai We don't ones. use words with syllables. Cornucopia and onomatopoeia <laughs> in the same sentence virtually. We don't use so many syllables over here as well. We get a little bit, you know, we keep it based, you know, I'm, I'm the white van man of business, you know. <laughs> well, you're not, you're not a teenage boy anymore. You don't speak in monosyllables and grunts. You can do onomatopoeia and cornucopia. <laughs> and in fact, this is our challenge for today, you're going to have to use both words in the same sentence as you're talking to one of these CEOs. <laughs> I don't think we play that game anymore, Mandy. We don't? No, no. Oh. I played that game with Dan Scott about 20 years ago and he's gone on to greater things in the Swiss banking arena. Did he, did he have to move on to greater things because he played that game one, two time too many? That was the rumour with the previous boss, yeah. <laughs> uh, Russia, meanwhile, and here we go again, Russia's playing games. Russia will drastically cut gas supplies to Europe again, making it harder for nations to replenish stocks ahead of winter. This uh, comes as Gazprom says it will stop another turbine at the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. A uh, halving supply at around 20% of daily gas. The pipeline has been running well below capacity for weeks now. In fact, it hasn't actually been running for weeks now, has it? Because it's had uh, maintenance. But um, anyway, it came back on board, uh, the maintenance, and it was running about 40%, I believe. Uh, but was, as I say, completely shut off for 10 days uh, earlier this month due to planned maintenance. Germany says there is no technical reason for the move. Uh, and I find this absolutely extraordinary that, I mean... All this, we are not playing games. I mean, of course the Russians are playing games yes. on this one as well. They've had 10 days of annual maintenance. They've had new turbines flown in, well, repaired from Canada mm -hmm. as well, held up by regulation as well. Uh, if anyone says that there are people out there and producers, and they're not the only one who's ever done this, but producers who don't use energy as a weapon, then they are in cloud cuckoo land. They are in cloud cuckoo land. And... I think this is going to be something that we continue to see for months to come, obviously, and it's going to be incredibly critical, and this is the, obviously the, uh, the whole point of the EU summit. The, we've got the Emergency Energy Summit today. But um, Putin is essentially going to keep Europe in perpetual panic. It's going to keep it on a little leash, and it's going to restrict supplies. It's going to maybe even cut off supplies. But it's just going to be continually, continually dangling that out there so that none of these countries are going to be able to, to fill up their storage tanks enough without significant measures, whether that's, of course, you know, you know, lots of things on the table, but restricting, restricting demand, uh, that's good old fashioned finding now. alternatives. I mean, the US and Australia have like copious amounts of gas. It's been actually quite a, a boon, a windfall for US gas, hasn't it? It's completely changed the LNG market. It hasn't, it hasn't. If you listen to Jennifer Granholm, the US Energy Secretary, mm. she will bemoan the fact that during um, COVID, that the US didn't invest enough uh, because of COVID. Well, we all know that that's not actually the case. Yeah. Actually, the investment 
um, decline happened well before. And I've spoken to the oilfield services people for years beforehand who said that they were very worried about the spending. And of course, when you have an administration that actually casts a shadow over hydrocarbons in their future domestically and internationally, uh, because of perhaps noble aspirations, one might say, of energy transition. But the fact is, there were clouds uh, hovering over the industry. What do people expect energy-wise? But coming back to Europe as well, absolutely. I think you're spot on, of course. They don't want Europe to be in a strong position on the storage front. This is the Russians, of course. Mm. Um, they want to exert that pressure so they can continue to put diplomatic pressure on the key backers of Ukraine as well. Uh, and then let's be honest about it. When you've got a nation saying, right, we're going to open up grain corridors and then firing missiles at one of the key ports uh, as part of that grain corridor, i.e. Odessa as well, it proves you cannot trust a word they say. And it makes it incredibly difficult, isn't it, if you're someone who's operating in the market, doesn't it? Because you just don't, you just don't have any predictability, no visibility. And this is going to be with us, I, I'm sure, for a long, long time. And remember when, of course, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year when uh, the war broke out in Ukraine and there were high hopes that, you know, maybe it would be quick and dirty. It's, it's just... To be honest, Mandy, there is no end in sight at this stage. There is the no end in and sight. As you know as well as I did, the war didn't break out this year. The war broke out in 2014 when the Russians, right. the, was it the, the little green men or whatever they call without their insignia on yeah. as well, uh, were in uh, the Donbass, were in um, that region as well, were in Crimea as well. I was in Kiev at the time as well, and it was blatantly clear that they were in for the long haul, that they were looking at annexation, of course, of uh, Crimea straight away, and potentially of these separatist regions to destabilise Ukraine. And if you hear the quite chilling words from Lavrov, the mm. foreign minister, mm. um, uh, one of the right-hand men for Putin as well. Mm. Their aspirations go on and on and on. And you look at... It's actually, so much more than just And if Ukraine. you look at Russian media, and I, I'm, unfortunately on my Twitter feed, I, I get to see what the mm. Russian media want. They have aspirations, or certain some of their commentators, to actually do... Well, to get rid of Ukraine. I mean, that that's is right. what that's some of the right. commentators... That's not what the Kremlin's saying necessarily, but that's what some of the commentators are saying on, on mainstream Russian mm -hmm. news. Mm. And beyond Ukraine, you know, aspirations of uh, restoring the, the, the Russian empire and all that goes with it. But back to, back to gas, uh, the, the terrifying thing is it's not just a case of, OK, well, let's quickly find an alternative. Let's get our gas from elsewhere or let's do the transition at a faster pace over to, uh, to green and renewables. It doesn't happen like that. It, it takes doesn't. And years. there is bounteous amount so, of gas so, out there. There is bounteous amount in the east of right. Med, Leviathan, and Zor, and, and in the Middle East, off Cattle, have you. But getting the infrastructure in place will cost billions, if not trillions, of dollars. And we don't have that time. And we haven't done it in a timely fashion. It should because have happened of the naivety years of and years and years ago. And, and Putin whispering that everyone in mainstream, or certain people in mainstream Europe, thought was the right it's, way forward. It's very easy to say when people like, you know, like Germany were turning off the nuclear actors. It's very easy to say with 2020 hindsight that they shouldn't have done this, then they should have seen these, but luckily, these potential luckily obstacles coming. But luckily, some of us were saying it well before 2020, so that's good. Isn't <gasps> Who could that have been, Steve? I don't know. Who gets the was, gold star? I wasn't alone. Who gets the gold star? I wasn't but alone. It's possible that European gas prices, sorry, to, to say this could remain elevated for some years to come. Coming up on the show, Walmart is slashing its outlook, unsettling consumer stocks and extended trade in the US. We're going to have all the details next. And you listen to a podcast or two, don't you? Oh, on the old occasion. Yeah, well, listen to this one podcast. because I'm told it's a winner today. It's got the wrong picture on there, though. Uh, for more on UBS second quarter earnings as well as Russia tightening, the squeeze on European gas supplies ahead of winter, check out the Squawk Box podcast with Mandy Drury and myself.
Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. So look, I can do this two ways. I can tell you all about what happened in session yesterday, or actually I can tell you what really happened after session, which is what I think was by far the most interesting thing. Amanda's going to fill you in a bit, few more details a little bit later on. It was Walmart. So look, we've got 170-odd companies reporting in the S&P 500 this week. We've got a third of the S&P reporting, yeah, but not Walmart. Walmart's not due to report for three weeks. And yet after the hour, for the second time, in a very, very short space, they came out with a warning basically saying that operating income is going to fall by 13 to 14%. Now, in May, they flagged it would be flat to up slightly in the second quarter. So we've, we've come off from May to July. And Doug McMillan knows what he's doing. He, he's a good long-term CEO, right? He's gone from my visibility is for a flat to slightly up. Yeah, to negative 13 to 14%. For the year, said we'll be down only 1% uh, at that measure, operating income, for the full year. He's now gone to down 11 to 13%. That is how tough things are moving and so quickly in the market and in the retail space. And in the retail space, which just might account for, with the uh, services side, about two-thirds to 70% of the US economy. So that is going to be fascinating. So these are the moves in market. And what I find also fascinating is that these US markets have had a brilliant month, if you are long the market. And I say if you are long, because a lot of people have opposite opinions. The Dow is up 4%. The S&P is up nearly 5% before today. NASDAQ up 6.8%. The Russell 2K is up 6.4%. We've seen consumer discretionary, yeah, which includes Amazon, by the way, up 11.7% month to date. So the stock market has gone north at the same time that we've had those kind of warnings. It's not just Walmart. There's a whole host of companies out there that are terrified about their outlook, about their margin. That's the problem, shifting stock at a decent margin as well. And of course, the strength of the dollar hurting those overseas earnings. You have to earn more in the local currency to equal a buck domestically when you bring that profit home. Yeah, got it? So the strong dollar, concern about the consumer, and the markets have rallied at the same time. So I'm just wondering, people saying, is the bottom in? Have we reached peak hawkishness, or is there something else going on? And quite frankly, I think it's a brave person out there who says, oh, great, 75 basis points tomorrow. That's fine, because power's going to be dovish. Don't bet on that. Not with the numbers the way they are on inflation at the moment as well. So it's a very interesting mix. Rising stock markets, rising interest rates, lowering profits. Work that one out for yourself. Right, let's move on to what the US futures are looking at. And, and thank you, Adam, for rolling through the walls. That was beautifully done. Um, the US futures looking a little bit easier uh, on the back uh, of what we saw, I believe, Mandy, from Walmart. That's absolutely right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Walmart and give you a moment to just catch your breath there because you're obviously spent from the excitement of talking about the Fed and what Powell is likely to say or not say. Anyway, Walmart shares plunged almost 10% in extended trade after the retailer slashed its quarterly and full-year profit outlook. The US group warned that rising price pressures are causing customers to cut back on discretionary spending. Walmart says it plans to cut prices 
in an attempt to get rid of inventory, which is really interesting, and that's definitely going to hurt their margins, isn't it? Because obviously they are also uh, getting uh, squeezed. The announcement after the bell triggered declines in other retailers as well, really spooked the entire sector. And Amazon also announced it is hiking its prime prices, moving in the opposite direction here in the UK. This is the first jump in eight years. Will the impact of inflation on consumers and a surging dollar, although a little less surging of late, are set to be key factors for tech giants when they report this week. We've got Goldman Sachs estimating that almost 60% of sales from tech companies in the S&P come from outside the United States. That is much higher than the average, and it does, of course, then leave them very exposed to the dollar's recent strength. You've got Microsoft and Alphabet. They're going to be reporting after the bell today. You've got Meta, Amazon and Apple due to report over the course of the week. It's really, really key what happens with these tech companies, Steve. Um, they make up so much of the S&P. They're a 7.6 trillion dollar market cap. The fangs, it used to be fangs, but now it's fangs if you put Microsoft in there as well. That's 22% of the S&P yeah. 500 market cap. And those companies cap. will still be around. The problem is, when is the entry point? Because those are titanic yes. companies who have fallen somewhere in the region of a quarter for most of them, but not, not all of them. But let's get to Ben Emmons, who is the Managing Director of Global Market Strategy at Medley Global Advisors. Ben, are you mildly confused at a time when companies such as Walmart and a few others that Manny just mentioned there are incredibly worried about their margins and their profitability, when we've got interest rates and finance costs going up aggressively, historically high as well, uh, at the same time the market is rallying so aggressively? Are you happy with that scenario? It's incredibly confusing and good morning to you uh, because you're right, like it doesn't make sense that you have this combination of operating margins really deteriorating because of, res of a result of high inflation and, and the dollar and at the same time there seems to be a bottoming forming in the market. Now it's maybe the A bottom, not D bottom, but it's significant enough to take notice of it that we may be indeed setting in for a summer bounce. and. It's maybe all about that we have discounted in the first half much of what Walmart is reporting today because it is about a real income squeeze in the United States. And uh, the AAA was out today saying that people have changed their spending behavior as a result of gasoline prices being too high. So Walmart is feeling the brunt and it will trickle down to other you know, retail-based companies like Amazon, but that's discounted probably mostly in the first half. And therefore, this odd combination is what we have to face here you know, maybe indeed peak hawkishness that's priced in against a bottom in the stock market. It doesn't make much sense, but I think that's just the market technicals at the moment. Um, the market clearly hasn't discounted all of this. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been a shock to the market after hours that Walmart uh, has warned yet again, second time uh, in the space of a couple of months, and it fell another 10%. So the market thinks it's factored all of this in, but, but it's nowhere near factoring the bad news, has it? Well, I, I take your point on that, true, that yeah, indeed individual companies like Walmart, yeah, they sell off hard because this is unexpected, right, that they release this weeks ahead for their actual earnings release. I guess they want to get ahead of the curve, right, to tell the markets like, look, we do deal with on the ground rules, shifts and changes. I think where I was coming from more is like the broader sell off that we've had over the past, you know, six months. A lot of it is in there, so to speak, but you're right, there is some level of that it isn't. So I think if you take it back down to the macro, it's about an economy that is indeed contracting. The Thursday GDP number is going to be, in my view, a risk event to the markets because that will probably show us what Walmart is warning us about, 
Real spending is really declining as inventory buildup is, is rising really quickly, detracting from GDP. So that may be indeed the real risk here for the markets. We're facing a technical recession. And Ben, just a moment ago, Steve was telling us that a number of people are starting to bank on the fact, and we certainly saw the respite in the US market recently reflecting this, bank on the fact that maybe growth is starting to slow down to the point where the Fed may be less hawkish than originally feared. Is that wishful thinking? Do you think that Fed Powell is going to, the, uh, the Fed's Powell is going to be able to tell us tomorrow that he sees growth slowing enough that they will start to rein in the aggressiveness of the Fed, or are we getting ahead of ourselves? I do think we get ahead of ourselves, Mandy, because, you know, the way they may pivot in the future would be really about what they told us in the past, saying inflation has to show persistent declines yeah, for a number of months to see this actual, what we call a downshift from the tightening pace that we in currently, the 75 basis points. You know, the September is still priced for 75, right? So I think the market is not there yet to say we see this weakness of the economy already as a reason for the Fed to start thinking about that this will be a decline in inflation persistently. So we're, it's a little bit getting ahead of it. And I think to, in that statement tomorrow, they may not yet acknowledge the weakness of the economy just yet, not, not to that extent because inflation is not showing any weakness. All the other indicators are. So, But it is the next stage. In the future, they will acknowledge likely that there is more downside risk to growth and that may be indeed the sign for them to ultimately pivot, but at this moment not. So you can expect the 75 in, on, on Wednesday, likely another type of move by September before they actually make a different assessment. I mean, I guess it comes down to the, uh, the, the classic tug of war. What's more important? Is it battling inflation or is it preventing unemployment? I mean, we were just talking about a number of the big tech companies which are going to be reporting this week. A number of them have already started either, either layoffs or talking about hiring freezes, even if they're just temporary. At the same time, you've got jobless claims starting to rise over the past months in the US. Is unemployment very soon going to be more important than inflation as far as the Fed's priority goes? Yeah, and they have asked individual Fed members about the potential rise of unemployment and what would be acceptable in terms of allowing it to rise, because that is your trade-off need higher unemployment to hopefully lower inflation. And, you know, the answers were more about, well, if we're getting above, a, say, a 4% or about of an unemployment rate, it would still be acceptable. So that's, say, a five-tenths of a percent for where we are currently at. So that's, I think, still the, the margin that we have at the moment until they start truly reacting to a more rapid rise in unemployment. But you're right, you have to take notice of all those layoff announcements or yet those who are actually happening and the turning claims, which is the best indicator of the labor market, it, it is notable. So it means it will become part of the of the, the thinking, part of the what we say the reaction function at some point. But I do think, again, back to the analysis, it probably is not going to be at this meeting and likely not until after September, until they have an assessment like we really see inflation moderate. So that means you have to allow unemployment to rise, but it indicates perhaps about half a percent. All right, Ben, lovely to speak to you. Thank you for joining us nice and early uh, or late, depending on what time it is in New York, what, what your lifestyle habits are. Uh, ben Emmons, <laughs> Managing Director, Global Market Strategy, uh, Medley Global Advisors. I guess that would be late for me, but early for... Uh Andy. I actually or the really other way around, actually. I can't even compute what time it is now here in Europe. My body is all over the planet. What, is, what time is it? Uh, is it 10 p.m.? Kind of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're, you're on the, the, the late night show. There you go. Let's...
So we can start telling some jokes and wheeling out some, uh, I don't know, dancing monkeys. Yeah, I don't know if we do or is that, that in us? European squat box. That's no. us. <laughs> Wait, we're the dancing monkeys. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.